from the Center for European Reform. This is the CER Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the CER Podcast. My name is Sophia Besch. I'm a research fellow here at the Center for European Reform. And today I'm in conversation with Luigi Scazzieri, also a research fellow at the CER. And we're here to talk about the Middle Eastern peace process in 2017. And what we want to discuss specifically is whether President Trump's commitment to strike the ultimate deal, in his words, between the two parties has changed anything and what Europe could do to find a path out of the quicksand in the Middle East. Luigi, to start with, could you bring us up to date with what are the relations like right now between the two parties? Where do peace talks stand? Where are we at? Sure. So uh, right now the peace process is actually completely stuck Talks broke down uh, in 2014. These talks were sponsored by the Obama administration, led by John Kerry. Uh, they broke down due to disagreements, and then uh, the war in Gaza erupted, leading to an atmosphere which, um, which inserted uh, very many more differences between the two parties. At the moment, it seems, um, despite Trump's efforts, it is quite unlikely that talks will resume wholeheartedly. Um, both sides have few incentives to actually resume uh, negotiations. Netanyahu's government is a very right-wing government. It includes many members who actually advocate annexation of the West Bank. And uh, as, as for the Palestinians, they remain very divided between the Palestinian Authority on one hand in the West Bank and Hamas in the Gaza Strip. There are very few incentives for the Palestinians to engage in negotiations because the political price to pay is very high and the memory of the negotiation round in 2014 when actually it was felt that they had made concessions to the Israelis without very much in return is still fresh in Abbas's mind, which is why he has come up with a series of preconditions to engage in negotiations. So, for example, he argues Israel would have to freeze settlement construction and uh, release political prisoners before he would be able to engage in negotiations. This combination of factors means that it is uh, very unlikely negotiations will resume. Uh, it is also worth noting that both sides are still engaging in activities that, uh, that harm trust. So, for instance, the Israelis uh, are still expanding settlements and uh, demolishing Palestinian buildings uh, in the West Bank, uh, which they argue have been built illegally. And uh, the Palestinian Authority continues to have an ambiguous attitude towards the glorification of violence uh, towards Israelis and uh, continues to uh, provide preferential treatment to the families of those who have been uh, convicted of, uh, of attacks against Jews. So in this situation, as you describe it right now, is there a change of mindset in the international community as to what settlement would be preferable? Um, over the last years, the settlement that has been pushed by the international community has always been the two-state solution. Are there alternatives right now? Well, the main change seems to be that um, Trump's uh, push to secure Middle East peace, or what, what he calls the ultimate deal, doesn't really seem to have the two-state solution as a, as a set framework. So he has never explicitly endorsed or, uh, the, the two-state solution. Indeed, he has talked uh, about um, uh, reaching a deal without ever really going into specifics. Um, now, this in itself actually makes the two-state solution less likely because, uh, of course, the, the U.S. is the major actor, the main actor in the Middle East peace process. It is the one which has leverage over both the Israelis and the Palestinians. 
Now, does this mean that there are other viable frameworks? My uh, guess at the moment would be no. Uh, there are two main other frameworks which are touted occasionally concerning the Middle East peace process, one of them being the um, one-state solution. Now, what this means is uh, a democratic state where Israelis and Arab uh, Palestinians would live together with the same rights. Uh, this solution would presuppose a lot of trust between the two parties it would presuppose a lack of violence. So I think it's very much something which uh, which is far away, perhaps uh, even more so than the, the two-state solution. On the other hand, uh, occasionally one other format which resurfaces is the so-called three-state solution, which refers to um, a solution whereby the West Bank would be either closely linked to Jordan or even administered by Jordan, whereas Gaza would be closely linked to Egypt or administered by Egypt. Now, the issue with this is that at the moment, uh, neither Jordan nor Egypt nor Israel have any real incentive to go ahead with this. Um, for instance, if Jordan was to closely administer the West Bank, its demographic balance would be altered. Uh, things could change, especially if uh, the Jordanian um, monarchy comes to see the situation as it is right now as more of a threat and harder to control than if they had a closer grip on it. So this solution, in my view, could gain further ground in the coming years if the two-state solution comes to be seen as less and less likely, which is a possibility under the Trump administration. Right. So let's talk about the Trump administration. Let's talk about President Trump's Middle East policy. Could you describe what he has actually done since he has been elected president? Has he followed up on his promise to strike the ultimate deal? What is his Middle East policy? So what's really interesting about Trump's policy towards the Middle East peace process is how much it's actually changed since, um, since his campaign and his first few days in office. Namely, during the campaign, he struck a tone which was very much pro-Israel. He said he would move the embassy to Jerusalem. Now, in fact, he's uh, struck a much more moderate tone in office. So there has been no move of the embassy. His uh, pick as ambassador, while controversial, has so far maintained a relatively low profile. And his um, pick as, uh, as Middle East envoy, Jason Greenblatt, has actually struck both Israelis and Palestinians as fairly even-handed. So the interesting thing is that Trump came in with a stance which was guns blazing. Later on, he actually tried to even moderate the Israeli stance. He tried to press the Israelis to stop settlement construction and uh, to make some economic concessions towards the Palestinians. Now, these efforts have now stalled because, unsurprisingly, he has um, found out that uh, making... Uh, making striking this ultimate deal is actually more difficult than it initially seemed. But having said that, it does seem as if the Middle East peace process is a, a pet project of his, as if he is uh, very much committed to it. So it is possible that he will seek to keep it at the top of his agenda and to actually push the parties together. Without this, there is actually very limited chance for progress, because without the United States, other actors have more limited leverage. What then is the way forward, assuming that he does push for it, assuming that there is a window of opportunity for progress in the Middle East process? In your opinion, what is the model that the parties should pursue? Well, the important thing is to understand the, the challenges and the risks in the current situation and in the current trend. 
So as far as current trends go, the two-state solution is becoming um, more and more difficult to envisage. This is mainly because of the increasing presence and number of Israeli settlers in the West Bank and the political difficulties in removing them. So at the moment, we have around 600,000 settlers, many of them living in areas close to Israel itself, uh, the presence not being so much of a problem in the long term, but around 110,000 living in the West Bank. Now, if we extrapolate the cost of um, removing settlers from Gaza in 2005, to uh, evacuating these 110,000, it would be around $30 billion. Now we can imagine how this uh, creates uh, very big headaches. So if the current trend of Israel uh, consolidating control over the West Bank continues, we'll come up with a situation where uh, either the, the Palestinian Authority might collapse, forcing Israel to assume direct control at a great cost, or um, if it slowly tightens control without necessarily annexation, this will still create a situation unsustainable in the long run, in the sense that Israel will ultimately find itself in the position of having to decide whether um, to be a, a democratic state or a Jewish one. Now, of course, if it chose to be a democratic state, we run up against the same difficulties that, uh, that we discussed earlier when discussing the one-state solution, namely that this presupposes excellent relations, also, polling indicates that most Israeli Jews actually do not prefer this solution. So what this would lead to would be um, a one-and-a-half state solution, one could define it, where Palestine is not quite a state under very tight Israeli control. Now, of course, what this does is it creates uh, huge international problems for Israel because it would lose, lose the goodwill of Europe, for sure, and in the long run, probably, of the United States. So having said all this, the imperative of the international community is to maintain the possibility of a two-state solution while also building trust between the two sides and therefore setting the conditions for an agreement perhaps in the coming years. So seeing the many ways that this could go wrong, what are concrete steps that Europe, that the EU, the European Union could do? How can they be a constructive dealmaker in this region? So I think in general, international efforts to uh, address the Middle East peace process in the Trump era should aim to be um, gradual in phase because actually attempting to secure an all or nothing deal at the moment would uh, risk uh, dispelling the end of the two-state solution. So it is very important, I think, that the parties are pressed to enact a series of phased steps. Now, such phased steps could be aimed at... Uh, essentially uh, giving the Palestinians a much greater control over the West Bank, enabling economic growth and uh, re-establishing a degree of trust about Israel's intentions regarding annexation. Now, in exchange for this, which again would take place in a phased series of steps, the Palestinians would verifiably um, halt their incitement activities and their payments, um, their preferential treatment for families of those in uh, in Israeli jails. Now, this, this is a big ask, but if done in a phased manner, it could really build trust between the two parties. And in the long run, let's say in another five years or so, once the economic rewards have been reaped, it would be possible to imagine negotiations to resume in a more productive manner. Now, as I've said, without the United States, it's quite difficult to imagine much of this happening. Having said that, the European Union is a very important actor in all this, as are individual European member states, which provide, for example, large amounts of aid to the Palestinian Authority. So 
Europe by itself can take important steps, which can shift the narrative and which can push the parties on the, in their own right in the right direction. Now, at the moment, Europe is, um, is implementing what is known as differentiation towards Israel and the settlements. What this means in practice is that, for example, Israeli access to EU funds in the Horizon 2020 framework are, are differentiated. In practice, this means that Israeli entities based in settlements are unable to access these funds. Now, the EU has also been trying to implement differentiation in the field of agricultural exports. So uh, Israeli goods from produced in settlements should be labelled in order for European consumers to be able to choose what products they buy. Now, this regulation is not fully implemented by all member states, but nevertheless it is promising. And the EU might choose one day in order to uh, respect its legal order and increase pressure on Israel to expand these differentiation measures, for example, to the financial sector. And this would have the effect of uh, removing the financial underpinning from Israeli settlements, making them not as appropriate for Israelis uh, to, to actually make use of. Now, at the same time as it takes these steps, the EU would, of course, have to um, shift its attitude towards Israel somewhat, in particular regarding security. It Many Israelis perceive the EU as security blind. They perceive it as uh, averse, uh, as opposed to Israel in many ways. So by acknowledging Israeli security interest and, for example, the difficulties involved in actually eventually retreating from the West Bank and the importance of maintaining a military presence there for a while, I think this would help uh, shift the perception of the EU in Israel. If Israel does take goodwill steps towards the Palestinians, for instance, releasing land in the West Bank, for example, uh, providing more opportunities for economic development, I think the EU can in turn press the Palestinians. It has leverage in terms of funds. It can press the Palestinians to enact steps of goodwill uh, in, in turn, such as uh, um, cutting the, the special, special treatment for the families of those convicted of, of murder and terrorism. And when the two sides come closer to uh, an understanding and perhaps do move closer to, to a more trusting relationship, the EU can then also provide incentives in the form of putting on the table privileged uh, economic relations, uh, special access to its markets to smooth the way towards implementation of an eventual peace deal. That's Luigi Scazzieri, a research fellow at the Center for European Reform. You can read Luigi's policy brief, Trump, Europe and the Middle East Peace Process, A Path Out of the Quicksand, on the CER website, cer.eu. Thank you, Sophia. If you enjoy listening to the CER podcast, you can subscribe to us on SoundCloud or iTunes. And while you're there, please leave a rating or a review. It helps other people find us. And you can also let us know what you think on Twitter at cer underscore eu.